Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review. And if you dig this episode, give us a like or share. And now, whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode spent nine years at IMG Academy before moving on to Major League Baseball where he spent six years, five of them with the Chicago Cubs where he was a part of the 2016 World Series Championship. He is now the Director of Performance and Coaching at Limitless Minds. Please welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Joshua Lifrak. to have you good morning how are you thanks thanks so much give me one second i have somebody coming in my office give me one second <laughs> what's up what do you i'm recording a podcast so is this okay bye-bye thanks okay perfect hey we're, we're good. working from home we're all working from home that's right? how, this is the way it works. this is how it goes that's right busy busy um well welcome uh excited i guess just to start us off and share with our listeners a little bit uh kind of how you got into to mental skills and then you spent some time at IMG world series champion eventually. And, and then now kind of tell us a little bit more what you're doing now. Yeah. So thanks. First of all, thanks for having this, uh, yeah. this podcast and thanks for having me on. I think, you know, the more that we can get out the word that, um, you know, mental training is really competitive advantage versus, you know, having to be something that, that you only do when there's a problem. Right. It's that proactive approach. We've seen it work in sports for, you know, for me for the last 20 years, it, it, it's you, you see, hey, these guys are actively addressing these women are actively addressing um, the competitive advantage they can have by by training their mind. And, and you know, oh, they're having different results <laughs> than other than other athletes. They're more consistent. Uh, they're more confident. They're more focused. Like all these things happen when you actually have a deliberate intention to train your mind. Um, if you just leave it to default, you know, we're rolling the dice a little bit, right? And, yeah. and that's the whole thing about sports. There's so many things in sports that are just completely out of your control, just completely out of your control. So the more things that we can put into our control, the better chance we have for better results, right? And that, that's the whole thing. It's just like my, you know, my, one of my late mentors um, was, was Trevor Moad. Um, and, and I don't know if you've read It Takes What It Takes or, or Get It to Neutral yet. Two really, if you have not, those are two books to go read now. Most like definitely. now, those are your next books. Um, spectacular stuff. But, you know, he always used to talk about, you're training your mind. What are you doing? You're buying more lottery tickets. That's what you're doing. You're going out and you're buying more lottery tickets. If I have one lottery ticket and you have 7,000 lottery tickets, guess what? You know, my son's taking, he's 11 years old. He's doing probability and math right now. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, you got a way better chance of succeeding with 7,000 tickets than I do with one ticket. Yep. You know, and that's what it is. That's what it is. It's just, it's just adding those lottery tickets. So, okay. So what was your question again? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Love it. No, the importance of it. How you got started into it. I mean, obviously, you know, passionate in these skills, but yeah, what, what led you into a, a career of uh, training the mind? Well, the, the, so, so my, my story is that I was a, a collegiate rower at the University of Rhode Island. It was, it was not a D1 sport. It was a club sport, but we practiced three to four times a day. I mean, it's yeah. rowing. We had two guys on that team that ended up, one guy ended up getting the silver medal in the Olympics in, in 1996. Yeah. Uh, and another guy was a world champion, right? Wow. So it was, you know, intense training. It was, 
even though it was a quote-unquote club sport. Um, this was world-class stuff. Um, and I used to get so nervous before races that I would throw up outside the boat. Now, I don't know what you know about rowing, but calories matter a lot in that yeah. sport, right? You are yeah. burning calories. Your muscles are firing all the time. So I never had uh, this type of stuff growing up. My father, strangely enough, was an Army psychologist um, and actually started the Cadet Counseling Center at, at West Point. But I didn't really actively engage in, in mental training at all, all right? So I didn't really even think about it. It just was what it was. I was an athlete. I loved being a sport uh, person. I played basketball. I rode crew, all these things. I, I loved it. Um, fast forward to, you know, 10 years out of uh, undergrad school. Had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I was waiting tables in New York City. Uh, waited, you know, was in the restaurant world for, for 10 years. Um, and Manhattan's like, like, you know, waiting tables and restaurants there. It's a competitive, it's a competitive yeah, sport. It for really sure. Is. Yeah. Restauranting like it's, it's in, like, in New York is competitive. <laughs> you got to hustle, man. You got to hustle. You got to hustle all the time there. And it, it was fun, right? I loved it. Yeah. And tons of camaraderie and still have some of my best friends in the world are, are from that, that time frame. But it was also, um, uh, a, it was taking a toll on my body, right? You're, you're on your feet for 12 hours a day and you're just, you know, running everywhere. Uh, so I knew I couldn't keep it up forever, number one. Yeah. Number two, I didn't really have the vision to see what you could do in that world, right? Like my friends that I waited tables with back then, now they own like four or five restaurants each and or wine import companies or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I just kind of knew I had to uh, go back to school for something. And I didn't know what it was. And, you know, I was out on a mountain bike ride and kind of had an epiphany on that mountain bike ride and, and kind of changed everything for me. And I, I went back and I, I was like, oh, look, if I change how I'm thinking about something, results can change. Like, that's really what happened in that ride. I won't go into it. I've told the story a million times. So, the, but the thing about it was that like, hey, uh, I wonder if you could study this. This is like, you know, I'm talking like late 90s now, right? Yeah. And so sports psychology itself wasn't even like the Soviets did it. <laughs> but other than that, right? Like you just didn't do it. Like you hadn't even heard of it. You know, yeah. I think, you know, where Visit was getting yelled at by people at the Angels, you know, at that point. But other than that, it was like him and Dorfman in, in baseball. Um, but that, you know, so there wasn't even really a field at that time. And so I looked and I found a couple of grad schools, uh, San Diego State, Ithaca College were the two that I actually ended up getting into. Um, and I chose Ithaca College because I guess I just have like a death wish. Like I just like <laughs> cold weather and like having, having snow piled on top of me the whole time. So, you know, but that's how I got into it. It was like I was literally searching. I had no clue what I wanted yeah. to do in my life. Uh, I was an athlete. I went on this bike ride things changed in my mind and I was just like oh my gosh like I wonder if I can teach this I wonder if I could study this and, yeah. and so that started me on my path um your path led you to uh being a world series champion with the Chicago Chub Cubs uh yeah and in an article they wrote about the season in the team in time magazine you had a quote that I really liked um better humans make better players yeah um, can you talk a little bit about that? And I think, you know, kind of, I know the Cubs were one of the few that, I mean, you guys had this intimate team focused on, you know, bettering the development of just humans, uh, not baseball players. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit and share a little bit with that? Yeah, no doubt. I think, you know, uh, I've learned this at IMG. So, you know, my career path 
after grad school was I did an internship at IMG. Um, literally, uh, Dr. Angus Mumford, who is you know VP of, of high performance at the at the Toronto Blue Jays now, he and I like shared a shared a room. We had bunk beds. It was hilarious. Like we're here, we are. I'm 30 years old, and I'm in a bunk bed. Um, you know, and we do this we do this internship, and then you know after 10 years of being there, one of the things that we saw was that 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 the the athletes and the who performed the highest levels oftentimes had their stuff off the field wired tight too mm-hmm. right they had all their stuff that together they were good human beings right and and those were the ones who excelled at the most i think about a kid like dwight dwight powell right who was with the mavericks for for years i think he just got traded to the wizards i'm not sure where he went but that mm-hmm. was a kid like you know he was at our school and we were like you know at img and here he is he's like He's not trying to go to Kentucky. He's trying to go to Stanford, right? Like he, yeah. you can just tell, okay, this is a guy who's going to be successful for a really long period of time because he's got all this stuff he's taking care of, right? He's taking care of his nutrition. He's taking care of his mindset. He's taking care of his leadership abilities and how he treats others. He's, he's taking care of the basketball stuff and his body, right? And yeah. so here it is, this better, this better human thing, right? This caring about others. That's really um, what we saw as as a as a facilitator for success on the long term now when i got hired by the cubs we were kind of searching a little bit for our identity you know that was 2014 we didn't really know yeah uh who we were we were the lovable losers right that's who we were right that's like the winter world series so as we kind of dove into it a little bit more and we started pulling it apart and unpacking it we we went down this road this concept of you know better humans make better cubs. And what we did was we attached the phrase that's cub to anything that a player did or a person in our organization did that was a little bit above and beyond, right? It, it was attributed to the field, what they're doing on the field, right? They're running hard to first base. They're hitting the right cutoff, man. They're making a key pitch in a tough spot. They're taking an extra base on a, on a, um, a sack fly or a deep fly ball or a right field or center field or whatever, right? They're, they're doing the right thing within the game. That was going to be Cub. Hey, man, that's Cub. We just called it out. And in addition to that, they go and they volunteer. They go and they, you know, maybe they picked up the, 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 the dugout after the, that, after the game was over and there was paper cups everywhere, but they were the ones who stayed there and they picked up, hey, man, that's Cub right there. And we just kind of started instilling this thing to our young players um, in low A, double a area and it just kind of started getting pervasive and it just filtered through the entire organization we we learned about it from two sources uh new zealand rugby right we had the opportunity to talk to the all blacks and that was a thing that they said and it's in that book um what's that i forget the legacy legacy yeah Yeah, Yeah, yeah. james kerr uh and then and then we also learned about it from the san antonio spurs we had a number of conversations with with people over there and they just talked to us about you know what type of person they look for um, before they look for the player. Uh, and I thought that was, you know, it was really, it kind of sparked in our mind who, who we were going to try and recruit and bring in. Yeah. Can you talk about, I, I love how, you know, that's Cub. Cause if you Google your name and you click images, like one of the first things that comes up is a picture of you that says that's Cub. And so I, I'm getting a little weirded out that you're Googling me so much. Tyler. I mean, I, I, was, I, like, mean, I was I feeling to, like my arms are getting a little, a little bumpy earlier. Yeah. My hair was on it. You know, I, I guess I, it was you stalking me, bro. I was trying to do a, do a little research on a fascinating guy. You know, you find out some stuff, but um, you know, <laughs> in kind of research and sports psychology, I mean, never got a chance to meet the guy, but at the Cubs, you got to work with, you know, I always call him like one of the godfathers, right? Ken Revisa. Mm-hmm. And um, another guy who I've just always 
in the professional ranks since he was with the Rays and, and probably with the Angels, you know, Madden and just how much he elevates the care for the human person, the mental and how that translates into baseball on the field. I think, can you talk a little bit about what it was like working with those two and, and maybe some of the greatest things you, you learned from them in those times? Yeah. So, so the story is that, that um, I get hired in 2014 as the director of the mental skills program. So literally my destination is I'm a front office person, right? Like, yes, I have boots on the ground. Yes. I'm working with all these people, but I, I'm literally front office. And like, that's what it said on my contract that I'm front office. Um, so my job was to kind of fill out the, the organization with mental skills people. Um, 2015, you know, we hired Joe in the, in the off season there and, you know, the first thing he says is I need to revisit with me, you know? And, and so then it was like, um, you know, I thought maybe Liprak was going to take care of the major league team. Who's going to like, how's that going to work? And as soon as they, as soon as that came up, I was like, we can get Revisa. What's done. That's a done deal. This is a hall of fame person, let alone a hall of fame mental skills pr provider. Yeah. We're, we're getting Kenny. Um, there's no way we win the 2016 world series, by the way, without Ken. I mean, the stuff he did behind the scenes during the playoffs is, it's, you know, that in, a, in itself is a book. Uh, and it's, and it's, it took courage. It took um, uh, cojones. Like, it took a lot. But only a person with his gravitas could have pulled it off. Um, we don't win. Just, I'm serious. Like, that, I believe, that, yeah. that, that, that doesn't happen, right, without Kenny. Sure. Um, and so, w for me, it was more like, it was more like I could just help him understand players a little bit quicker than maybe he would have earlier yeah. so it was you know obviously like i was i was his boss in a lot of ways which was weird <laughs> right but it was like it was more like hey kenny just go do your thing man just yeah. go just go be you um and then if you need anything let me know i'll take care of you you know so that's kind of the way it was with our, our relationship but yeah did we have a lot of time to spend together did i learn a ton of stuff from him 100 percent, right yeah. I, I and and again you know, one of my favorite stories that Kenny told us was how he got into the field. Um, so I don't know. Have you ever heard this story about how Kenny no, actually broke into baseball? Yeah, so he, he's like, he's friends with like somebody in the Angels organization, right? Or they had seen, or they had gone to Fullerton or something like that. I can't, I can't remember what the connection was. But they're like, hey, we'll try you out, right? So here we are, we're at spring training and you could take the relief pitchers. Okay, you're going to take the relief pitchers and you got one session with them. And if they like it, you're staying. If they don't, you're gone. We're not going to, we're not even going to, like, we're not even going to entertain this sports psychology thing. So Kenny's like, okay, you know, he's younger at that time or whatever. And he takes them and they, and the only, in the spot they gave him, they didn't give him a theater. They didn't give him an auditorium. He had no freaking whiteboard or PowerPoint or anything like that. They stuck him in a freaking bullpen in the back, like behind this building with like air conditioning units and like a generator and all sorts of crap, like right next to him. Right. And so there, he gathers the guys and he starts talking to them. Um, and, you know, he tells a story. He was like super nervous about it. And, he, and he's talking and halfway through his talk, the gener the air conditioning unit like kicks in and it's like super loud. Like you can't even hear it. Right. Like you can't even hear anything he's saying. The generator's like shaking. It's like, you know, it's like super loud and he just keeps going and he finishes like 10 minutes later um, and you know they all leave and he doesn't know how it's going to go um, but they you know they keep him on so it went well and he's like awesome I must have nailed that thing um, a, a couple weeks later you know he's talking to the guys again and 
he has a relationship with one of the pitchers there and, and he asked the pitcher, he's like, you know, what did you like about that first session? And the guy goes, you know what, honestly, I couldn't hear anything you were saying, but you were so locked in. Like you didn't even blink when the thing started going off. It was so loud and you just kept going. You were so focused. I was like, Hey man, maybe I want to learn how, how to get that focused. So it wasn't even anything he said. It was just what he did. Uh, and it, and it is like, and how he was being in that moment where there's all this distraction, but he didn't even know what he did. He was unconsciously yeah. competent in that moment. Right. He just, yeah. he didn't even have a clue of how good he was. Um, and he was just so locked in. And, and I thought that was hilarious. Right. Cause like we think about Kenny and all this great information he always used to give and all this stuff. And the reason he was even in baseball is because the air conditioner went off. It was really loud and he was able to stay focused. Hey, stay focused. And you know, if you can, if you're that passionate and I'm sure as Ken was like, even if you couldn't hear him, you could feel that body language. <laughs> yeah, you can feel Kenny, no doubt, man. You know, no I doubt. Think, well, that's great stories. Uh, one thing I kind of was saying, I know the Cubs had, you know, a team of, uh, you know, people under you working with mental skills. And, and I think other major league organizations have kind of adopted that model over the years where most teams have a, a small group. Uh, doesn't seem to be that way in the NBA or the NFL. I think the NBA has a little bit more mental skills, a little, little yeah. bit different. Uh, NFL being a former football player it seems like there's a huge gap when it comes to college football in the NFL are there other reasons besides maybe the individualistic kind of ways the game presents itself that baseball's a little bit further ahead maybe when it comes to mental skills training well I, I have some some uh, I just gotta sure yeah. a second here yeah. college football that is very much incorporated at the top levels yes yeah so, I mean Trevor so though like Alabama Florida State Michigan State, Georgia. Michigan, like Georgia, all of these, all of these, all of these entities, which are highly, they recognize really quickly that this was, they, they don't just have like a mental skills person. They have mental health. They have psychologists. Um, they have the whole nine yards. Yeah. Right. They do. They do. I mean, you know, obviously they have the budgets to do it. I mean, Notre Dame, right. You know, Amber Selking yep. there, she did an unbelievable job. Probably is going to go to LSU with Brian Kelly now. Right. And so it's like, you look at these, these scenarios and the organizations that get it like they understand if they're yeah. really committed to winning they have this in their program end of story yeah like if if, if, if your organization if it, whether it be a business or you know a, a football team or a baseball team or a basketball team like the organizations that are highly successful they get it and they and they put people yeah. in place to train the mind because they know it's a competitive advantage Right. So I, I don't I don't I don't I don't agree with you. I don't think no, yeah. um, I, I, I don't think I don't think baseball like high level teams do this stuff. Yeah, I think it's I mean more of a, a generality when I say it, when it's like, yeah, I mean, those top programs, um, you just don't like I mean, just in a basic if you search mental skills in NFL offices, there's pe there's no one that comes up like it's all secretive. Um, and I mean, when you do it in baseball, you can find, um, you know, a lot of great people that are doing it. And it seems, I guess in the football world, it comes to too. It's like, you've got most programs, hundreds, hundreds of some college programs with a hundred some kids. And there's just, it, when you look at it as a ratio, there's very little being taught out there, except for those programs sure. that have, have those, those buco bucks. I guess my question is more, why are, you know, most people, like you said, the winning programs recognize this as a great advantage. Why are other coaches, programs, sports maybe slower to realize this? Oh, they don't understand it. People are afraid of stuff they don't understand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and also, I'll be honest with you, the confidentiality piece, which 
at the major league level, at the highest levels, at the pro, that has to have sure. that that confidentiality that has to be there because otherwise you're never gonna you're never gonna get to help the players right. uh, unless you are <laughs> like legitimately just like running visualization sessions and that's all you're doing. Right? You're not gonna you're not gonna even break down the barriers and, and get people helpful uh, the help they need. So I think that that's another piece too. Like coaches and and, and organizations, they want to know everything, um, yeah. and so you know it, it's tough to it's tough to measure um, as well, right? Like everything's sure. analytics right now, and and hey, can we measure it? Yes. Okay. Let's let's focus on it, right? Versus like this stuff that's a little bit gray that is a little bit tough to measure, um, you know. So that's that's I think those are probably the reasons. Uh, I know that I know the NFL has. Um, a woman who I forget her name uh, off the top of my head, but like she runs all of the mental health for, for all of the teams yeah. in, in, in the NFL. So the mental health piece, I think, is real, right? And I know the NBA and the NFL are attuned to that. Sure. Um, and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're working to help out with it. And I think that that, in a lot of ways, is a gateway to mental skills training, right? Now, yeah like I couldn't do the mental health piece and I never tried to. And I was so happy that the Cubs gave us the opportunity to have, you know, a mental health uh, practitioner at every single level, level, right. They really yeah, did. Like, yeah. We had every single level covered from the Dominican Republic all the way through, you know, triple a baseball. And then obviously in the major league covered by an individual mental health person that they could go to confidentiality. We never even knew if they used them, right. Cause yeah. that's the way it was supposed to be for mental health. Uh, on the mental skills aspect, you know, that's, that's a little bit more of the training piece. And, and, but there still has to be that confidentiality there. So if something does come up and they want to open up about stuff, you, you can address it. No doubt. Can you talk a little bit about the, like maybe when you're in the professional baseball, that kind of the, the amount of time or, or how much time we're athletes, you know, spending on this, um, you know, on a average basis. Well, you know, the whole key was that we were trying to help players form habits, right? And so that was the whole key. Like, it's not about, like, meeting with the mental skills coach. Right. It was always about, hey, are you applying the tools and the skills to train your mind? And do you know what those are? So for us, I mean, it was always like, you know, there was an instructs camp in, 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 at the end of the season. And you would give them all the information about what to do and how to do it. You'd help them apply it to so educate application and then you'd support them through the process. Now, as you go through the ranks and they're continuing to do that, you're monitoring that. You're, you're, you know, that's where the surveys come in and you're, you're asking anonymously, how many times, how many times a week are you visualizing every day? Boom. Cool. Right. You know, we're looking at 70% of the people are now visualizing every day. Great. The program's working. Right. Oh, look, there's we want to institute meditation and get guys meditating a little bit and understanding, you know, mindfulness training. OK, well, how do they do that? You know, well, here's here's a bunch of different options to that. How often are they doing it? You survey them again. I'm doing it five times a week. Great. We know that's working. Right. And we see the numbers. So, yeah. you know, that's kind of how that's kind of how we approached it. Cool. Very cool. With the, the mindfulness kind of a very topical kind of across sports. Uh, how, how is that often received by some new people? And, uh, you know, after implementation where there's some, you know, what kind of impacts did you see that create for, for performers? Yeah. So that it's, it's really interesting because I, I always, I always talk about mindfulness and meditation. Like a lot of people want to go straight to that. 
cool. It's like, look at all the research. It does great stuff. But I think you get, you, there's an emotional maturity that needs to occur before you can enter that. It's almost like a prerequisite to, to mindfulness training in a lot of ways. Um, so like if you just roll it out to everybody, you're going to get like three people that show up. And these are dudes that, you know, are straight up from California or Colorado, right? Like out of the game. That's right. right? That's who they are. Right. They're, they've been exposed to it. You know, their mom's a hippie. It's all good. Right. So, you know, you're going to, so you're going to have like a smattering of people, but if you kind of like roll it out a little bit differently, right. And maybe don't call it meditation out of the gate. Maybe you call it, you know, you just call it mind training and you got to have the guys sit for, five minutes, you know, a day, or you have them before they even go in the stretch circle, you know, taking a two minute meditation, or you encourage them during the, 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 uh, the national anthem to just close their eyes and like really hear all the notes, right? Like all that stuff yeah. is, is mindfulness training. And it's, it, again, it's like a little bit of a gateway to getting into that, you know, what Dr. Amishi Jha talks about from the university of Miami, 10 to 10 to 12 minutes a day, five days a week, you know, that's the real training. You do that 10 to 12 minutes a day, five days a week, you know, your brain is going to get stronger. The neural pathways will strengthen in terms of being able to notice things, being able to step outside of yourself, being able to be more focused when things aren't going your way or when it's pressure, like all that stuff happens from that minimal time frame. So, you know, it, it, those little pieces into it can get people regulated and, 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 and attuned to it. And then when you have the coaches buying in and maybe doing it themselves, oof, that's when it really takes off. Yeah. I, can kind of touch on that real quickly about how, uh, like, I mean, obviously, you know, mad and managing, there's a, from my impression of what you're saying, every stakeholder in the organization was aligned with, with kind of some of the mental skills. And I think 100%. You, you see it sometimes where it gets compartmentalized with the athletes and it just won't reach its organizational potential if it's not involving all the stakeholders that are stakeholders. Yeah. I mean, we would do sessions with the front office, Tyler. Like it was, it was awesome. embedded, bro. I mean, it was everywhere and everything. Like that's just, we, this is how you thought as a cub period. That was it. Like yeah. it wasn't like an option. It wasn't like, you know, now here's, here's the deal. Like we were very open to, again, the human being and understanding them and getting their perspectives and being growth mindset and open-minded and all that stuff. But there was a certain way that you thought as a cop, you know, right up until 2019, that's when it ended. It, it just kind of fell apart, uh, hired some bad people. It is what it is. But, you know, it's just, I, I wouldn't say bad people had a different point of view. They had sure. a different point of sure. view from, from what we were doing and maybe didn't understand it. Um, so that's when it kind of got all blown up. But, you know, like it, it changes, right? And, yeah. and that's, that's it, right? Change is inevitable. Growth is optional, right? right? And so it's like you sit there and you go, like, did I grow from that? I probably didn't. Right. I was probably stubborn and it's probably on me for the reason that I'm not that it's, you know, a little bit on me that I was like digging my heels in because I believe so much in what we were doing versus maybe looking at different opportunities. So maybe I was the bad person. Right. In all seriousness. Right. No, no. In all seriousness, like you look back on it and you go, I mean, bad, good. Those are judgments. And you really yeah. don't want to do judgments. But could I have been more effective? Could I have been a little bit more open to 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 different things? Sure. Right. Yeah. But I was stubborn and I believed fully in what we were doing. So am I upset about that? No, no. I would, I would do it the same way a little bit again, but maybe I would have changed how I went about it, you know, yeah. but I believed in it. Well, I appreciate the, the candid reflection on, uh, um, on that as well. The one other thing I always wanted to ask is, 
Is there a mental skill you love to teach? I know maybe you can talk a little bit about what you're doing now with Limitless Minds. And, and um, is there something that gets you excited to, to teach this to athletes or business people or whatever it may be? Well, I, I've just seen, um, you know, you see so much growth from organizations that buy into this stuff. You know, like what we do at Limitless Minds is it's not like, you know, it's not just getting up there and giving a keynote. That's that's pretty transactional, right? Yeah. Like it's it's fine. You can do that. And there's and certainly there'll be some education that goes along with that and people get inspired and they'll understand stuff. But what we believe in is transformation. Right. So we 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 we've taken the model and and you know you you engage with limitless minds and it's not just for like hey lift rack up on a stage you know talking about the Cubs, it is you know a six month to twelve month engagement where it's learning every month um, you know digitally and then getting coached by some of the world's best coaches you know who uh, have business acumen who have business backgrounds who have military backgrounds who have you know sales backgrounds who have uh, professional athletics backgrounds. And these people are coming in to help teach all the stuff that Trevor believed in throughout his life. Uh, and so what gets me juiced about it is literally the people. Like, that's it. That, that's, that's why we're in this business. We're, we're here to, you know, impact people. That's it, right? And, and help them perform better longer. That's, that's really what we do. A health and wellness digital company is what we really are. And so, you know, for, for me, what, what gets me juiced up is, is, is really taking care of others. That's it. You know, we show up to a session in coaching and it's never about, hey, we're going to educate you on this. It's like, how can we take care of the audience that we're in front of? And when you take care of the people that are in front of you, when you take care of your audience, guess what happens? They buy into what you're saying. They feel better. They listen more. And then they're going to ask great questions. I mean, that's, that's basically how it rolls out. So, I mean, that's, you know, I don't know. So that's, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's what gets me juiced. There isn't one specific skill without a doubt. You know, it's like, it just, it just, yeah, I just love teaching this stuff. Period. No, it's very, very good. Uh, One question we always like to ask our guests, uh, how do you define or view success? What is success? Hmm. You know, I I remember reading this a number of years ago. There was uh, Tim Ferriss. I don't know if you've ever heard of Tim Ferriss. Four Hour Work Week, which, by the way, like I love that book and I hate that book. Right? Right, It's it's like this almost unattainable goal, right? The Four Hour Work, but it isn't. Like you can still do. You can automate all that stuff, and I'm sure there's people out there crushing it. And then I I don't know anyone, anybody that can is that efficient and that entrepreneurial that can get their work week down to four hours. The next thing they do is start another company and add another four. Like that, like that's what those people do. Like, so I just, that was my conundrum is like the most motivated driven entrepreneur I know, as soon as they can get that business before they go start another one. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent, dude. hundred percent. That's right. exactly, that's exactly what happens. They're, so they're too driven. They, that's, they don't want to sit on a beach. They want to work. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Sorry, they do. It, so, but in that book, he talked about the, this is perfect. This is a perfect segue because he said the opposite of happiness isn't sadness. The opposite of happiness is boredom. <laughs> so, uh, so for me, like success right now, I mean, we have very clear metrics in terms of what we're doing with limitless minds and, you know, how many people we're looking to impact a year and, and, you know, how many, you know, businesses and, and the things that, that are the results of what we do with businesses, you know, client retention, uh, client engagement, I'm sorry, client retention, employee retention, sure. employee engagement, um, you know, happiness like all those things come out of the teaching of neutral thinking. Um, we've also seen bottom lines for these companies go up. We've seen 
um, you know, their, their, their level of engagement go through the roof. So it's really kind of cool to see those types of things. So those are, that, that's certainly one modicum of success. Yeah. Uh, but for me, success is right. Like literally making an impact with people and, and helping them, um, you know, apply these tools and skills. I had an email the other day, we had done a session with a woman and we were talking about um, adversity tolerance, right? That's one of the, one of the topics we talk about. And she, she and, and she was in the group, there's about 20 people in, in the group, you know, um, executives and, and managers and things like that. Yeah. And she wrote that um, she had been uh, always scared of driving, right? She's a mother of two and she doesn't drive. She didn't have a driver's license. And because of the session that we had, and because of recognizing what adversity really is, i.e. challenge and opportunity, she was able to, she enrolled in a driving course and she wrote us that, like that's success. Are you kidding me? Right? Like we're impacting the, this woman's life. This isn't just like, oh, I hit a ground ball to third base and now I'm mad. It's like, no, it's like, no, this is like huge stuff, you know? So that's, that for me is that, that just fills me up, you know? Love it. What, uh, in kind of your work when you work with some some businesses or, or go into uh those environments what are maybe one or two of the cultural or managing faux pas that you catch on to quickly on on why they can quickly maybe have more success with their people but just not understanding a gap that's in between them and their employees yeah i think i think there's you know nobody knows nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care right you, yeah. it's positive coaching alliance one-on-one right, right there yeah. right so that's you know that's certainly part of it but i think a thing a big thing that happens is people think you can like build relationships by being sarcastic and being funny and making fun of others and stuff like that 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 stuff like kills culture like that um Number one, because everybody's got to kind of laugh at it, but inside they're getting crushed. So now psychological safety is like down, yeah. right? Um, what I've seen from great organizations, I'll, I'll switch this around a little bit, is they catch each other winning all the time, right? They just they catch each other winning all the time. Like those little things that people that's are cub, that's doing. cub, yeah, exactly, right? That's <laughs> cub. Uh, little things that people do that might might to the naked eye not seem like a big deal but you know those little butterfly wings are flapping and there's tornadoes happening in texas right like that kind of stuff matters so so much and when you become a culture of catching each other winning you're going to win big things right uh limitless minds we you know we have a gratitude on our slack we have a gratitude uh channel so every person in our company <laughs> every day starts off by saying what they're grateful for a little uh, like i said a gratitude channel um, so it's, it's really like that, that type of thing, just that small, right. It's a small thing to do, but here we are, we're practicing what we preach and think about it. Like I get to read all this stuff. Like I get to read, you know, all these posts of like great stuff that's happening in the world. Like, yeah, how it's good news. What kind of a, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's a news feed I'm here for. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. It, no, no doubt. Right. And so that's the type of stuff that you know, that matters. Right. And it, it's not forced either. It's like literally not forced at all. Um, so that's, that's, what's kind of cool is, is, you know, I've seen that. When I explain with one more, one more last question, since you brought up the, the topic of gratitude, I'm a big, I like to wake up every day and just journal a few gratitude things, been doing it for a while. What were you just today? Um, today, let me see. Sometimes I, I, you know, I get busy, forgot we wrote, uh, here we go. Podcasts. 
I can find my page here. Love this. Put, a, put a Tyler on the spot, bro. <laughs> Make him sweat. Uh, grateful <laughs> for my new start with the, the organization Positive Coaching Alliance. I'm thankful for the new relationships and people that I've got to meet yesterday. And I'm grateful for the great workout and great rest I had this morning and last night. And I'm thankful for the time to gather today before I speed up and attack the next process. Nice. That's awesome. There's kind of random thing, but I usually try to at least have three different thoughts. And sometimes it's hard for me to read them because they're, they're scribbled, but at least they're out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, that's, that's such an important thing to you. It's like you writing stuff down, like just getting yeah. it out of your head and putting it out there. Like, that's awesome. And then guess what else? Would you have a journal there? You go back to it. You can just flip through that stuff and just like, wow. So I was working with some kids and I had a girl call me out. She's like, you do that every day. And I go, give me a date in the last month. And I, flip to the book and <laughs> that awesome. one I wish I were recorded because I said great things about my wife so I was like they thought I was probably just like you know playing up to it but that yeah was she said other... February 14th right but no she you know and then I read it and I go that was the next point is it kind of shared is that when you at least do it in a journal you can do it however it is your way but if I'm having a bad day I go look at past days I yeah. flip back and it's like man like also when you fill up a book and you see a gratitude entry for every day it's really hard to be like well where was the bad day yeah. like it, it makes you really like uh, i mean there there are some right but um it's it, it starts to to you know where, where your light goes energy flows right so um it was very Colin Henderson of you. <laughs> yeah, the silver-tongued Colin Henderson. You know, episodes, I think, yeah, 20 no. and 60. Go check them out. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, well, that was, uh, uh, that's, that's a great compliment. I'm going to tell Colin I got mistaken for you with my silver tongue today, buddy. Uh, but yeah, greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing some things, Joshua. It's been a, been a pleasure. Appreciate everything you do. And um, I'll, I'll link up your social media. I'll link up Limitless Minds. Go check out the work they're doing. I, I think... The work you guys are doing is like, it's going to change business, I think, in the next several years. And I think Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing is we recognize right now we're business to business. Like, it's coming though. Like, our goal is, is not small. Like, our mantra is think big, go far, right? Mm -hmm. So, when you think big, it's it's a little bit more than just, hey, let's just take care of this business or that business. It's, it's like, we want to get it to the consumer, right? That's coming. Uh, so, just note that, um, you know, our goal is, is really you know, worldwide, right? It's not, it's not just going to be businesses in America. It's going to be businesses globally. It's going to be individually globally. Um, so there's a lot coming. Just keep your eyes peeled. You, you, you'll see. Um, there's, there's a bunch coming up. So it's going to be fun. Um, but I, I want to say, I don't know if so the podcast listeners, right? If you're listening to this, um, it's different than if you're watching. I don't know if this is going on YouTube or wherever sure. it's going, yeah. but you know, it, one of the things that was really, really cool about the last five minutes of our conversation is as soon as we started talking about gratitude, Tyler's face just lit up. I mean, bro, you were just smiling. You I love happy. You know, you, it was just like, it, it, but, but that's what happens. Right. Um, Justin Sua, a good friend of mine. I don't know if, you, if you've had Justin on yet. Yeah, I'm sure you yeah. will sooner or later, but Sue and I, one time we had to co-present um, a different coast. He was presenting to a group in, um, in California. I was presenting to a group in DC. Uh, and they wanted the same presentation. So Justin and I had to put our heads together and, and create it, which was, by the way, awesome. And I, and I love Sua, by the way, if you're listening to this, is, is just the best. Like that dude is, is baller. I love him. 
Uh, I love everything he stands for and, and how he goes about his business is great. But we got to collaborate. And one of the things, one of the, the, the games that we came up with, and it probably was more him than me, but we were going to have people share in the audience. And, and our audiences, respectively, I think he had 1,200 people and I had like 800 people. And our audiences, we were just going to have them share you know, one great thing that happened to them in the last 24 hours. And it was like, you know, they're going to turn to each other and share it, right? Like to whoever's your partner next to you. And as I'm doing the presentation and I had never done this in an audience before. I think he had before, but uh, we do that. And like the room exploded. Like I had never seen anything like it, Tyler, like just the joy and the presence and the, and the, and the, and the noise and the enthusiasm in the room like the roof almost came off. It was amazing. And all it was, was people focusing on something good. Yeah. Right now, here's the deal, right? With, with our mindsets and things like that, there are going to be things that aren't good. And to go from really bad to really good, that's probably like, it's almost like going from forward to reverse in your car. You're going to blow out your transmission, right? Like that's not, that's not what we're saying. What I'm saying is that when we can focus on little things in our lives that bring us joy, when we can focus on those, like the breeze in the trees. I always look for the breeze in the trees. It always makes me, like wind, by the way, for, for whatever reason, like it's so mind blowing to me. Like, I don't understand it. I don't understand where wind comes from. It just comes, right? There's no start point. There's no end point. It's just there. And I love it. And so I'll just sit there and I'll look at the breeze in the trees and, the, and I'll just be like, wow, that's amazing, right? And instantly, as soon as I do that, my mindset shifts and my energy shifts. Right. It's one little thing. So I think for, for everybody that's listening out there, you know, that's something you can do today. Right. That's something that you can do today. Right now is you can find one thing that's great. You can. There's one thing that's great in your life. It doesn't matter. And, and when you focus on that and you look at that a little bit, other thing else around you is going to change a little bit, too. For listening, if something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode, we would love your help spreading the Elevate message. You can find me on Instagram at Elevate Educate Rejuvenate. That's with the numeral instead of the A-T-E. Thank you again, and if I can help you with anything, please reach out. And don't forget, go elevate others.